Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. It is the centennial, episode 100 of the Chris Johnston Show. Uh, 100 times we have gotten up, either rolled out of bed or found ourselves in the hotel room trying to make this podcast work. And we have made it work at least 100 episodes at a time. And I haven't gotten tired of it. No would I ever get tired of it. It's not work. It's supposed to be fun. And it has been nothing but fun with you, Siege, and producer Nick, and everyone else at the SDPN. Congratulations, CJ. Your podcast is at 100. Next stop, 1,000, my man. We don't we don't stop here. You know, it was actually pretty cool if you saw the, the little clip pack that Insider Jay Money put together. He's been on fire. He, he was pretty savage with you with one of them. But the, the one he was. Where, he, where he spun through some of our episodes and some highlights and that, it was, it, you know, when you're doing it sometimes in real time, you kind of forget everything that goes on. But uh, we've had some goofy moments, some fun moments and uh, some serious ones. And, you know, it's been been fun to do 100. But by no means is that a finish line in my mind. I think that uh, we got a long way to go, pal. 100 uh, percent. I'll say this. I, I didn't realize I completely forgot that uh, the Jeff Carter debacle goes as far back as episode eight. That was really surprising to watch in that highlight back that we've been trying to we've been have people guessing about that since episode eight of this podcast. Yeah. And uh, it, it lives on. As I told you, it, sometimes you don't need an immediate resolution to these things. So, you know, for those that have listened along at some point, we'll reward you for your, your continued patronage. But, uh, you know, so you got to wait in life for some things. There's a reason why CJ said episode 1000. Okay, it'll be before then, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, hopefully. But uh, seriously, thank you to everyone who's been watching and listening to our episodes. And uh, hopefully, yeah, we do get to uh, a higher number than 100. Uh, 1,000 would be pretty great. Uh, It would be pretty indicative of of how good this podcast has been if we can get to that mark. But uh, I'm really happy that we're at this point. And I'm really happy that we have NHL games we can talk about on this podcast not that we didn't have before we know the nhl season started a little late last week but uh toronto and montreal went down on uh, wednesday night and great way to start and we'll also at, at some point also get to vancouver edmonton as well got a few other things to uh clean up with the hockey canada story uh we recorded just before uh, the big announcement that uh, scott smith and uh, the board of directors would be stepping aside we do have an update with regards to Ian Cole as well, and it's Thursday, so we will have stick tests. But I want to start with Montreal-Toronto because that was a great game, great drama. I know a lot of people complained about the beginning, the intro, and how long it took at the Bell Center, but in terms of the action, I thought it was pretty great. It was amazing in that intro that they even took time to, to mention you. I mean, they went right through the concession <laughs> workers, the, the media, the media that couldn't be there because they've moved to Calgary. I mean... 
you know, I, I, did, I was young when that thing started, but. Uh... <laughs> I was doing a radio interview at the same time. And like, maybe they had me 15 minutes or something like that. It, the, the intro was still going. Like, that's how long it was going. And I think it's fair to call it out, at least in some playful manner, because the Canadians rightly have gotten a lot of flowers over the years for being the, the kings of, you know, the just striking the right chord with ceremonies, difficult moments. And that was that one just felt a little bit off uh, to me for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was. I wasn't in the building. Maybe if you were there, you felt something that you couldn't get at home, but it did not translate too well to the to the screen. But look, the game, the game was interesting. Um just shows you, you know, you spend all summer thinking you know how things are and then see game one and, and everything's a little bit upside down. But, uh, you know, the, the the Leafs were quite sloppy. The Canadians were too in some ways, but I think that that's way more to be expected. We've heard Martin St. Louis. One thing I really like about him as a coach is he talks about not trying to overcoach his team. And, and you know, I think that especially with, you know, four rookies on his blue line in, in on opening night and, and you know, Uri Slavkovsky up front as well. You know, he's, he's willing to see some mistakes. You know, he says, talks about wanting to see the ceiling. He's not worried about the floor as much. They'll fix the floor. I think was the, the, the line, the lines he used. So, um, you know, pretty entertaining night and Cole Caulfield, man, buy this stock now because it's, it's, it's going to the moon. I think everyone was sort of expecting it last year. It's such a difficult start to the season. Uh, but the change in coach clearly has benefited him. He was basically a point per game player down the stretch, had a hat trick in the last game of the Canadians regular season. And he has two on opening night. And, and so, I think the Canadians are going to be pretty entertaining this season. I think the Leafs will be too, even if uh, the entertainment uh, on night one maybe wasn't in, in the manner you know fans of the team would like. Um, but you know, a good way to kick off the season. And and uh, you know, I'm just jazzed we get to see games. I'm going to the game tonight uh, at Scotiabank Arena. I know you'll be at the Saddle Dome for the Flames opener. Like it's pretty cool that uh, this is really back. A little, a little bit like Christmas morning for me, the way it feels today. It absolutely does. I, I have my suit ready and everything for uh, the game at the Saddle Dome. Just want to mention one thing about the Canadians just before we get to the Leafs, and then we'll eventually bring on David Pastel. Cole Caulfield, hell of a game, hell of a shot. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say this. As long as I've been watching the Montreal Canadiens, I'm not considering the older eras I wasn't around for. I think as long as I've been watching the Montreal Canadiens, Cole Caulfield has the best shot I've seen of any Canadians player. I, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say that. Yeah, I don't even know who we would say rivals it, really. I mean, if there's one thing the organization sort of lacked at times is a pure goal scorer, right? I mean, Max Pacioretty had some nice years there, but, you know, his, you know, Cole Caulfield has 40-plus potential, right? I, I don't know. You, you'd probably be better to me, me in the trivia side of this. I don't remember when a Canadian last scored that much. Um, you know, Stefan Vichy would be my guess. There you go. Kovalev had some great years, you know, offensively for the Canadians. Even that, we're going back a while. Um, you know, they, they, they've had uh, some really strong teams, but, you know, usually if, if you look at the carry price years, carry Price's best years in net, you know, what, what felled them in the playoffs is just not getting enough offense. And so Cole Caulfield's a game breaker type player for them. And, you know, we'll see what becomes of your ice Lavkovsky too. Um, but yeah, this is, you're right. You're watching something different and he just got that goal scorers, everything about him, like his, his sort of swagger, I might call it confidence. Uh, wants the puck on a stick, wants to to shoot it. And um, a lot of good things happen when he's getting four or five shots a game. So the Leafs, um, we were kind of joking before we started recording. Rome is burning. Like everything is just, you know, ah, they lost the first game of the year. They didn't look great. People are already starting to freak out. 
And I mean, I think it's just game one, but I could, I guess I could understand that a lot of Leafs fans are feeling a bit jaded at just saying, Oh, well, it's just game one. It's just another one of those games that they found a way to not win. Even Sheldon Keefe considered the effort from his team unacceptable. I have an issue with that. Here's my issue with it. We know how Leaf fans get. We know how the media gets. We know how the pressure gets in that market. I think Sheldon Keefe is absolutely right to say that the effort is unacceptable. There's a part of me that thinks he should probably just do it in the locker room and maybe say something else to the media and just be like, you know what? Let's just file this one and forget it and just push on to the home opener. I don't know. There's a part of me that just felt that what Sheldon Keefe said just kind of adds a little bit more fuel to the anxiety being brought up by Leafs fans. But maybe that's just a well, maybe panicked way that. of looking at it. Fine, sure. But I also think considering the pressure that's already been applied to the Leafs right now, geez, like that's you're, you're adding more to that. Well, let's take the other view of the coin. I mean, for them to ever do what they want to do, win playoff series, get to a Stanley Cup, win a Stanley Cup, they're going to face pressure beyond what they're feeling on on day two or three of the NHL season. Um, you know, I think maybe he wants them to have to come through some shit, for lack of a better word. And, you know, it's also just the truth. They just it really was not. The, the Leafs, we all know what's riding on this season. We, we've talked it up like to, to come out and just be sloppy. And, and they just were they didn't really have much going on in the game, quite frankly. Um, their top line was was notably quiet. Nylander Tavares had a good game, I thought. But, you know, they. They they didn't dominate a team that's clearly inferior to them on, in terms of talent. So uh, and, and NHL readiness. I mean, and so I, I I don't mind it. The other thing too, Julian, the Leafs have a really tough October. Like if you look at the schedule, they they play a lot of games. I mean, they're they're four and six nights, four games and six nights right out of the gate. They got some difficult teams. They have a California road trip uh, before the end of the month. This this is going to be a little bit of a gauntlet to start. Obviously, the goaltending questions are going to remain. Um, with Matt Murray and Elias Samsonov, I would presume both taking a lot of starts because there is so many games early on. So Sheldon Keefe doesn't, doesn't want to waste any time here. And, and, um, you know, I think on one hand, those of us a little more removed from it can like, I, I look at it, I go like, look, this team won, I think two of seven games out of the gate last year and then had 115 points. So even if they, they lose to the Capitals and they're zero and two, even if they lose to the senators on Saturday and they're zero and three, look at, I'm not going to say that's a good start. I'm not defending them, but. It's it probably isn't the end of the world, um, but I think it's how you lose. And and there just was way too. I mean, at minimum, they should have got a point, right? It's 20 seconds mm-hmm. left. And Jake Muzzin, probably one of their, their most reliable defensive defensemen, just can't clear the puck in a, in a way that you would expect them to. So, you know, at minimum, you should get that game to overtime and at least have a point. And so I think Sheldon Keefe, I don't think he minds the pressure. He's also an emotional guy. I should say this, too. I mean. You have to remember that that interview maybe happens 10 minutes after the game. And it's been my experience being around Sheldon Keefe, even when it's sometimes it's an emotional win. He, he, he just tends to be really honest in those post-game press conferences. I think, I think it's the emotions of being on the bench in the NHL, doing everything you got to do. And then you, all of a sudden the cameras are there, you know, he, he's not afraid to, to be honest and blunt at times. And uh, maybe you don't expect it on game one of the season, but, you know, this is a season where I don't think the Leafs can take anything for granted and be, be very interested to see how they they respond, maybe not just with the game against the Capitals, but in this next week. I mean, because if it is 0-3, I mean, it, it'll get crazy around here. I mean, it, it was crazy last year when they were 
whatever, two and five to start the year. It got nuts. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the, this, the environment they're operating in. Any final uh, Leafs observations before we bring in DB? I'll, I'll hold some restrict my judgment. I suppose. I don't think I want to look too far into it, but you know, as I said, really sloppy game, just, you know, we'll see what the, the big guys can do. I mean, Matthews and Marner both had pretty, I've had great careers, but coming off great regular seasons, you know, I look to see a little bit more of them here as, as we go through the next stretch of games. All right. Time to bring on David Bastel from sports interaction as always for people 19 and over and in Ontario, we ask that you play responsibly and there will be a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. Cue the intro music. Before we uh, break down Vancouver and Edmonton, there are a few other news and notes we need to get to, including uh, the latest out of Hockey Canada. When we recorded on Monday, the latest info we had was that Andrea Skinner resigned. And not long after we finished recording, the news dropped that Scott Smith uh, had resigned from his top position at Hockey Canada and the board of directors would step aside. Siege, any insight on those uh, resignations and also who could step in uh, to replace uh, whoever has left. Well, I mean, if you go back to our episode, the one thing I, I do recall saying, I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but was that I, I thought it was really just a matter of time before all the pieces started to topple. As it turns out, it was about an hour after we recorded that the press release came down from Hockey Canada. You know, it's been now a couple of days since that happened and, and we still don't really have very much clarity in terms of, you know, this, this management committee that's supposed to oversee the day-to-day -day operations. You know, what Hockey Canada has said is that they're, they're essentially going to elect a new board and have that new board uh, be in charge of hiring the next CEO to replace Scott Smith. Uh, that board too will, will make decisions on some of the other senior executives that remain with the organization that have been there a long time. And so, you know, that's, that's a all well and good sketched out in, in a press release, but who's running the, the, the operation right now is not all that clear and, and, and how the, the, the people that run this sort of interim management committee are selected uh, also not exactly clear. And so I still think we have a lot of unanswered questions. You know, it seems to me too, you know, a number of the MPs have been quite public about wanting to know, you know, what kind of severance Scott Smith might've received um, for being let go, you know, make it sound like that'll be part of the next round of questioning. That's, that's, uh, levied at Hockey Canada when they they resume the parliamentary um, sessions, and so we don't have any clarity. I mean, I, I can't tell you in names. I, you know, when it comes to the board, you know, basically anyone is my understanding could apply. You know, there's sort of an election process. I think the election is due to happen December 17th. It may end up happening a little before that, but you know, in in sort of the what's left in the rubble of of you know, everything toppling over is, is a lot of smoke or, you know, a lot of dust has kicked up, but we don't have a lot of clarity in what's going to be built in its place. Uh, and so this clearly will be a story we continue to discuss, but uh, yeah, I think this is, it's an overdue step, quite honestly. I mean, it's not like we can sit here and applaud it at this point. I think a tremendous amount of damage has been done to the brand and to the organization for how this was handled, how long it dragged on for. And so there's a big job ahead of whoever it is, uh, whichever group of people uh, end up comprising that board who's hired as a CEO and, and how they, they move forward from this, because I think there's, there's still a lot of, a lot of bridge building that needs to be done in faith uh, before faith can be restored. hundred percent. I mean, they broke trust for a lot of people who care deeply about hockey 
in this country. Uh, it's going to take a lot for them to to rebuild that faith back with a lot of people. I think there's I understand there are a lot of people who might be indifferent, but there's definitely a handful of people, especially at the grassroots level and 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 hockey fans who definitely would like to see change with hockey Canada. I am very also I am also intrigued as to which potential names could could step up if anyone who has spoken out against hockey Canada in the last little while might take it upon themselves to step in or anyone who has has worked very much on on uh, different parts of the game with building it up like a Daniel Silvestro for example would want to step up and take a board of directors position but I guess that's something we're going to determine in the next little while well I think that there's some hope it can be someone maybe a little beyond the hockey world maybe not, not someone as ingrained in it you know it's actually that's a tricky proposition it's similar to what the NHL Players Association is facing in replacing Donald Fear is on one hand, you want someone to bring a completely fresh outlook that isn't part of the machinery. But on the other side of it, if you bring someone in who hasn't worked in the industry as much, there's, there's a huge learning curve there, right? You've got to spend a year just figuring out how it all works, building relationships with agents, with players, with everything. Uh, in the case of the NHLPA, I think the same would, would go on at Hockey Canada. You know, it's, it's one thing to want someone with maybe strong governance and business experience. But if you, if you don't understand the nuances of how the game is structured and works, um, within the country, I mean that—that's sort of the trade-off, I guess, that you're looking at. Uh, but I would suspect, or be very surprised, if it's a, it's if it's a terribly familiar name, um, you know. But that could change. Look, the decision isn't made. I mean, it's, it's just my early sense is that they they do want maybe someone who's who's not been so much a part of what's happened um, that, to lead this forward. Um, but you know, that's going to be a decision for a board of directors, which hasn't yet been appointed. Uh, and so let's not put the cart too far before the horse. Exactly. Uh, we will deal with that story uh, as it continues to materialize, as we've done so, so far on the CJ show. Uh, another note we need to get to, uh, the matter of Ian Cole, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman, uh, currently suspended over some pretty disturbing allegations that surfaced over the weekend. Siege, what insight can you tell us on that story? Well, Ian Cole had a, a meeting uh, at the NHL head office on Wednesday afternoon, an interview uh, about these allegations, and let, let's call it as it is, or be very clear here, extremely serious allegations. I'm certainly not here casting any doubt on them, but they were brought forward uh, by someone who's recently created a Twitter account. I believe the name was Emily Smith uh, attached to that Twitter account. Very detailed um, set of allegations, too, uh, to do a sexual abuse and grooming uh, of, of someone who's purported to be a minor. But as of this recording, I'm not sure that those allegations have been corroborated or the person behind them has stepped forward. And, and that does create a bit of a challenging situation when it comes to, um, you know, what to do with Ian Cole, because, you know, he's hired a lawyer and he has refuted these allegations. And so if there isn't a way to investigate them further, if there's not a person behind them willing to talk to the league, and again, that might still happen even between the time this is recorded and it comes out. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I do think that there's, going to be a push to get Ian Cole, you know, unsuspended, so to speak, and back playing uh, while this plays out. So, you know, I, I don't think that there's much, there's not much debate here. If if this is just proven to be true in some way, you know, he's, he's definitely facing a lengthy suspension, probably some legal trouble as well. But, you know, right now, as, as we're in the early days of this, it, it's not, doesn't seem that there's enough there to, to dive into. And so that's, that's kind of where it stands. Uh, it wouldn't entirely surprise me if you saw him reinstated and able to play games for the Tampa Bay Lightning if, you know, someone doesn't come forward or if there isn't a way to corroborate what's been alleged here. 
Uh, and so, you know, I think it's a bit of an awkward one in some ways because, you know, you, you want to obviously take these things very seriously. I'm certainly not suggesting the league isn't, but if, if, if all you have to go on is the tweet, um, you know, I think that there's more needed uh, before any sort of, you know, real meaningful punishment might be, be levied. Okay. One final NHL news and note uh, before we spend a little bit more time looking at Vancouver and Edmonton and Colorado raising their Stanley Cup banner. Uh, just a, a a basic NHL signing, which, you know, maybe we won't even put it on a show like this. But uh, the Buffalo Sabres signing defenseman Matthias Samuelson, a veteran of 54 NHL games, to a seven-year deal worth $30 million. He has not scored in the National Hockey League. Uh, but uh, this contract has gotten a lot of attention, even more so than the fact that head coach Don Granato also got a contract extension. So, Siege, what do you think of, of Matias Samuelson uh, getting this uh, lengthy contract? It's Well, it's a bold play in some ways by Buffalo, I would say. But obviously, they have the player there, right? And and they feel they know him. I, I think that everything we need to know about what they, they they think about him is the fact that they're willing to make that kind of commitment to him so soon, right? Like we just came through discussing a summer where, you know, Sean Dursey, Nick Hag, Rasmus Sandin, Mikey Anderson, they were all took a long time to get contracts done. They all signed shorter term deals. Those players have all played more NHL games than Matias Samuelson, right? Who, who immediately steps into a, you know, basically $4.25 million plus contract uh, for seven years, you know, life-changing kind of money uh, to, to get that kind of security. I think what, what, you know, the Sabres have done and with both the Tage Thompson signing and obviously with Samuelson is they're front running the anticipated bump in the cap. And they want to get these deals signed before we even know more about that, you know, specifics on exactly where it's going. And they're mindful of the fact that Rasmus Dahlin is going to need a new deal. Won't be so long before Owen Power. I know he's just st stepping into the league, but won't be so long before he's potentially looking to, to make major money. And so, you know, they're trying to lock in some pieces that they identify as, as being long-term, but at a number that they can, can work everything else around. So, you know, it's, it's not the way, I mean, certainly teams have done this in some individual cases before, but I, I think that there's clearly a strategy here from Buffalo. I don't think it's a bad strategy, honestly, because they're one of the teams that actually has cap space this season. I mean, when we talk about any other transactional stuff around the league, I and mean, we, when we talk about the Oilers, they had 17 skaters on opening night because they're so tight to the cap and they were dealing with a couple injury illness situations. Um, so, you know, they're one of the teams that have the ability to do this right now and, and they might pay off for it longer term. I mean, it really depends on what the player becomes. Um, you know, I think it's, it's sort of an interesting Faustian bargain if you're a player and gets offered this because, on one hand, the only way you really win is if you have kind of a, if you don't deliver expectations, right? If, if you don't end up having as good a career as everyone expects, that's the only way you win this deal. Uh, you know, I'm really reminded of the John Klingberg contract that Dallas signed in 2015. He played, mm -hmm. I, th I think, about 65 games, give or take. So similar kind of, um, you know, sample size and signs a seven-year deal, 29 and a half million and he ultimately delivered way more value on that because he became a, a huge contributor to their team, you know, was their top defenseman for a period of those seven years. You know, he gets to the end of that contract and he had trouble getting a deal, right? He's, he's landed in Anaheim on a one-year deal, so a one-year contract. So, you know, there's, there's a bit of risk-reward there, but, um, you know, I guess ultimately the player opted for security. The team is trying to get the puzzle pieces arranged before the the big guys need their next contracts. And so that that's why it's generated so much discussion. I mean... There's probably like I tried to look into this. There can't be another skater 
that has signed a $30 million contract without scoring a goal. Like I know I obviously lots of goalies have done it, but no skater has ever done that. I mean, that's has to be a first, uh, you know, what, a, what, a what a thing for him, but look, he's, he's really got some intriguing defensive underlying numbers. He's going to play with Darlene. Uh, he's never going to, I don't think be an offensive defenseman, but you know, the, the Sabres clearly think he's part of the, the core of their team moving forward. At the same time, he has scored as many goals in the national hockey league as you and I, and he is $30 million richer today. That's uh, I mean, look, sometimes right place, right time, right? How many, how many defensemen, I mean, especially if you're those guys, if you're Sandine or Nick Hag, who just signed in the last week or so here, you had, you had to battle and scratch and claw to get a $1 million contract. And this guy is getting a, you know, a $3 million contract in Hag's case, but you know, this guy's getting the big money right away. I mean, it's, he just is in the right organization at the right time and has obviously made a strong impression in, in, you know, not so many games to, to warrant that, that kind of uh, security. By the way, I'm not hating. Get get paid. We all about getting paid here on the CJ show. It's just we are even remember the mascots. Like I'm I'm all for it. I'm not saying I'm not saying anyone shouldn't make X. That's not that's never the way I look at it. I'm I'm always happy when someone uh, when someone makes some bank. Get paid. All right, let's talk about uh, Vancouver and Edmonton. Uh, I stayed up for that game after Montreal Toronto, and I'll tell you what, hell of a game. Hell of a game. It wasn't looking too good for, for Soup at the beginning. Jack Campbell allowing the first three goals of the game. But then Edmonton showed why they are to be feared with the offense that they have. Connor McDavid gets a hat trick. Connor McDavid gets a hat trick. Leon Dreisaitl gets a goal as well. I'm trying to remember the other goal score. I'm probably missing it. But Edmonton scoring five unanswered goals after being down 3-0 to win it over the Vancouver Canucks in their season opening game at home. What a game that was. Yeah, because it started so ominously, right? I mean, you're, you're the we've talked a bit about Campbell, but so much pressure on him. He signs this big contract and, and he's down two nothing in the first few minutes and then ultimately three nothing early in the second period. Um, you know, maybe maybe the knives were going to come out there and, and, and then instead you get another glorious Connor McDavid moment. And, you know, how about in the first game of this guy's eighth season? And they're not even been full seasons because, you know, you had a COVID interrupted year. He had an injury in his first year. He gets the 700 points. I mean, basically averaging 100 plus points a season right from the start of your career is bananas. You know, it's a cheat code. Um, and, you know, what, what a way to get it done on the home opener. You know, I, I'm feeling good about Doilers. I, I know that, they're, look, there's, they're not a perfect team. There probably is not a perfect team anywhere, if we're being honest. Um, you know, I think that we could probably point to some weaknesses on, on even the best teams in the league. But uh, just having that ability to score at will. Um, no team, you know, they're never really out of a game, uh, I, I wouldn't think. And so that that kind of underscores it. Uh, you know, again, hockey that probably the coaching staffs on both sides are like, ugh, lots of mistakes in there. But but you certainly got your money's worth if you're an Oilers fan who went down to the opener. And, and um, you know, I, I just think we're still seeing the best of the best player of our generation in Connor McDavid. So Let's uh, let's let's gear in for more of this. I I, I think this is going to be his 50 goal year. I mean, I, I told you I don't like predictions, but I just just hearing, you know, some of his focus on scoring more. And I, I it's nice to get three in the bank right with an empty netter right on opening night. But I, I think this is the year he he hits 50 for the first time. Man, 700 points in 488 NHL career games. Just insane. And yeah, 50 50 goals seems very likely for a player of Connor McDavid's ilk. 
I'm just looking at this team and seeing how they play. They had a power play goal where they were just working down low and to the tic-tac stuff and the speed at which they work at. Like if you're if you're coaching against that, like what are you doing to slow down the play? Connor McDavid already is one of those guys where you can only hope to contain him. There's only so few of them in each major sport where it's just like, well, we know this person's going to produce. You have to contain them and let someone else beat you. Like the game plan to go up against the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, a team like Colorado can match up with them because they can do the same thing. But man, I I, I would hate to be a Daryl Sutter or Dave Haxtell or anyone else in that Pacific Division or anyone else around the league whose job it is to stop Connor McDavid when he comes into your building. Well, you don't want to take penalties. I mean, the Oilers have been consistently yes. a top pen, a power play the last number of years. They look to be right. Like there's no there's no early season jitters or, or kinks to be worked out with that power play, the way they moved around on, on the, the first McDavid goal. Um, yeah, that, that, that would definitely be part of most coaches' messages, though, is just try to stay out of the box. And actually, Vancouver did pretty well. I think that they maybe had four power plays in the game, but they had eight themselves at their end. But they also gave up a shorthanded goal. So, you know, special teams often end up uh, making the difference. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that as much you can game plan when you have Dreisaitl and McDavid and then all kinds of guys, whether it's Evander Kane. I mean, they, they, they've just got so many weapons and, and they've clearly systemically, systematically figured out a way to play because they, they year after year after year after year and every team game plans for the power play, the Oilers still score at a better rate than pretty much everyone in the league. Yeah, it's... It's an insane offense. They look really good. I, I'll say it here. I think the Oilers might be the best team in the division, at least for the regular season. I don't know what it's going to mean for the playoffs for them this year. But in terms of the offense, in terms of the weapons that they have at their disposal, Jack Campbell, I know he had the little rough start, but yeah, he at least rebounded and helped this team win. But they're better at goalie than they were last year. The Oilers look like the best team in that division. And there's a big reason why a lot of them are... A lot of people are slotting them as a cup finalist. They they now, look really good. Are you going to be able to walk in the Flames dressing room after making that statement or what? I think so. I mean, look, here's my thing. I don't know what it means for the playoffs because I think for a team like the Calgary Flames, built as they are, like they're still a very good team. And I think they'll be able to, to give Edmonton a run for their money. But I also think with the way the Oilers are playing against everyone else, that might help them uh at least look good in the regular season the playoffs very different story very different story and for a team like the flames anyway like i don't know if anyone here is a flames fan and is wondering like oh why aren't you praising the flames more like you kind of want them to do better in the playoffs and the jury i think is still out on how those two teams will match up in the postseason but i think in the regular season anyway the edmonton oilers look really really good one thing about the flames too they still need to gel with some of those new guys in there the the, the oilers don't have that I could be wrong, obviously, but uh, no, I, I think the, I get why the Oilers are being looked at as a top team in the NHL right now and a top team in the division. They look a little better than Calgary right now. And I know it's one game and Calgary hasn't played, but I'm willing to say that easily. And if you have Connor and Leon, of course, you're going to look better. All right. I'm just wondering. I didn't know if you're going to be feeling the heat in, in the f- Flames country after I don't, praising I don't look, the Oilers man. so much. I mean, I don't. you know what's funny, actually? I think there are actual Flames fans, and maybe I'm wrong on this, who would actually rather I do this as opposed to being like, nah, the Flames are the best team in the NHL. I won't mention this colleague's name, um, but they went, they, they put, they mentioned the idea that the Flames might be really good, and they actually got hated on as a result of it. The, the fan base here in Calgary is so different from what I'm used to. 
in in like Montreal or, or Seagate Toronto, like in, in those markets, if there's any glimmer of hope, it's like, nah, man, we're running with it. There's a very good chance they could win. In Calgary, it's like they've been hurt too many times. They've they've seen the heightened expectations before and they've been let down and they don't want to get hurt again. Like that's oh, that's what it's like in Calgary. Every fan base in this country has been hurt. Everybody has been stopped. I know. It's been I know. 30 freaking years since someone won a Stanley Cup in Canada. Like it's actually I know. Insane. It is it's insane. insane. But we it's could go like Calgary. across the country and just be like, where are your scars? Like show show us where it hurts. And like every fan base is gonna have I agree. Some, like, really bad scars. I agree, but you know, and I know in the markets that we were born and raised in that as many fans that there are that could show their scars and be like, I don't want to get hurt again. There are just as many, if not more, who are like, nah, man, we're running it back. Let's do it. I don't care. We're going to do this. It doesn't happen nearly as much in Calgary. And it is very much a big adjustment. I did a poll for the athletic where I got a whole bunch of fans to, to chime in about their, the expectations for this team. And one of the questions I think was, do you think with the core that's in place that the Flames could win a Stanley Cup, I think, within the next three years? Like 52% of people said no. Like, like what? It's right. not something I expected. It's not something I expected. So I think to your earlier, to your earlier point, I'll just I'll just say this. To your earlier point, yes, there might be fans who might be like, oh, I don't know how this guy thinks the Oilers might be better. There might be some fans just as much who are just like, Yes, Julian, underrate the Calgary Flames. Don't heighten the expectations up, which is really weird. But like, that's how it works. Yeah, I, I just think we've got a country full of people conditioned to expect nothing good to happen. I mean, how many? Because like you mentioned, like the Leafs, like how many Leafs fans watch the game one and go like, of course. Like, yes. You know, like immediately. I mean, just like are like, this is shit. This is awful. Um, you know, I think that. And I get it. Look, and I get it because you've seen that you always thought, oh, the team never had any superstars. Then they got superstars. And you're like, well, they're never great in the regular season. Then they had like a bunch of great regular seasons. And then I get how it ends that way. But, you know, someone is going to break the curse in Canada. I don't even know if it's a curse. But, you know, I picked the Oilers, as you know, in our prediction show to win the cup. Like, I think one Canadian team winning the cup might help other Canadian teams oddly win the cup. I, I think that there's just some there's just some hex or something that needs to go down. But. You know, the Cubs and the Red Sox won a World Series in our lifetime after going lifetimes. You know, the New York Rangers won a Stanley Cup in 94 after going since, I think, 1948. You know, eventually all things come to an end. And, I, you know, Canada's Cup is coming. It is coming. I think it was two months old when uh, the Rangers won in 1994. I believe it was then. And then June 12th when they had their parade. Wasn't that like a crazy day? Like sports like the OJ chase yeah, happened OJ as well. Chase, yep. Yeah, a whole bunch of other different things. Anyway, speaking of cup champions, uh, the Colorado Avalanche uh, celebrated their championship in front of their fans on Wednesday against Chicago. Uh, Jack Johnson, who plays for uh, Chicago now, was able to join uh, the team in line. I think that's one of the better moments we've seen to the start of this NHL season. Uh, Mark Hoppus of Blink-182, we all know how all the small things dominated the abs. Uh, well, that's a big thing for, for if you're going to Ball Arena, you're watching an Avalanche game, and now Sportsnet has... Put it on every second commercial. So we are going to be, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, I don't know if we're going to get fed up with that song, but we are going to listen to that song a lot during this. Is it NHL a hot season. take for me to say I'm already kind of fed up with it? I feel like a lot of people are. I'm not fed up with it yet, but I know a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Actually, fed up isn't the right word. I'm just like, I'm a little tired of it. It's like, okay, we get it. They play a song and everyone sings. I mean, it's nice. It's cool when you're in the rink, but 
I feel like it got overplayed a little bit. Um, maybe just on social media. I don't know. As I no. say, when I've been at Ball Arena, like don't get me wrong, like it's cool when you're in the building. I yeah. just feel I just feel like the coverage of it has gone a little too far. I mean, other teams have had other songs that fans sing. I mean, it's this is this is sports. I, I my thing about it is is that I don't want it to get to a point where we've played it so much that everyone gets fed up of it. Like everywhere you go, like you'll 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 hear the song because it's a very good song. And it's a very good, and I, and I and I know some people are gonna be like, oh well, this team did it too, and this team did it too. But I'm sorry, we were associating with the Colorado Avalanche, and it's a cool tradition for them. I don't want that to get. I don't want people to get fed up of it. I don't want it to be oversaturated. If that makes sense. I think we're already there for me, but maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon. I guess. But uh, shout out to the Avalanche for them celebrating uh, a Cup championship. And uh, they're playing the second night of a back-to-back in Calgary uh, later to well later tonight on a Thursday. Uh, but the Avalanche also getting the job done against against uh, Chicago as well. They they still look really good. Yeah, let's be honest. Like that's the team to beat, and not just because they won the last cup. It's you know they won the last cup with with Bo and Byram hurt. You know now they have now Alex Newhook elevated to you know the second line center position. Maybe that isn't going to be a seamless transition, but. You know, they still they're they're injecting good young players back into the lineup that won and and still have the most dangerous threats uh, playing for their team and so you know I I think that they they have I feel really good about their ability like I don't see another team in the West that I think really challenges them top to bottom lineup wise you know as much as I'm I'm talking up the Oilers you know I I think that I'm still taking Colorado if you put the lineup side by side uh, in terms of which one looks better to me. Um, and yeah, it was a great moment too with Jack Johnson. I don't actually want to rush past that because it was pretty cool seeing him, you know, on in his in the Chicago sweater out there with his old teammates and and you know arm in arm watching the banner go up. I mean, that's a that's a memory for a lifetime winning that that championship. And then you know this is the last chance really to celebrate it. I know they'll do a ten year reunion or whatever down <laughs> the road, but this this is the last chance to celebrate it. And then you get to the real games, and I thought that was. Uh, a real kind of special, cool moment for that, uh, you know, good on everyone for making that happen. Yeah, cool. Any other NHL observations before we get to stick taps? A bit of a short one today. Yeah, a little short one. I got to get down to Scotiabank Arena. Um, but, it, you know, look at it. It's so exciting, the start of the year. I mean, you know, watching the highlights of Anaheim's, you know, win over Seattle, Maddie Beneers. I know we've been talking him up, but it's, we're, we're, we're uh, Maddie Beneers fans uh, on this podcast. You know, he scores in that game. No, I just think it's been a cool start to the season, and and I'm excited to get rolling right through the weekend where basically by then you will have seen every team play at least once, and uh, then we're right back into it, but up to uh, up to our eyeballs in hockey every day. Let's do it. Uh, stick tap time. Uh, it's an opportunity to uh, show some love to somebody in the NHL world uh, or adjacent or whoever we really want to, if we're really being honest. Um, should I start or should you start? You can go. I was just going to give a stick tap to Blink-182 because they used this opportunity, the NHL season being back, and Colorado using all, all the small things to announce that they're coming back with Tom DeLonge uh, on a giant world tour. And I'm very excited about that. Hopefully I could uh, get some tickets and uh, watch them at uh, the uh, Saddle Dome. Uh, I, I saw someone say that uh, the arena is not great for acoustics, but uh, I still want to see what it's like to experience a, a concert there. So maybe Blink-182 and all of the other bands coming with them uh, will be my first experience. But the stick taps to one of the most legendary 
punk pop bands of all time uh, coming back. They're coming. So they told us in that uh, fun ad of theirs that they did. But uh, yeah, stick tap to them. That's a cheeky stick tap after I said I'm all played out on all the small things. <laughs> <laughs> they have other songs, CJ. I know. I know. And I'm not a hater by any means in the big picture. I just I just heard a lot of that in the last few months. My stick tap is going to be to Arbor Jackeye. Uh, hey. Offered quite a story in, in reaching the NHL. Played his first official NHL game on Wednesday night for the Montreal Canadiens. You know, some I'm sure are familiar, but if you're not, he was working at Costco at, at a point early in the, the pandemic, um, you know, played in the Ontario Hockey League, was never drafted, and pretty remarkable story for him to to go from, you know, his time in Kitchener and later Hamilton of the OHL to directly to the Montreal Canadiens lineup. And uh, I know he's become a bit of a, a fan favorite uh, around the Canadiens, but I think that his story is one that that more broadly, you know, any player out there that feels like they've been overlooked or or you know, are wondering where their future's headed, that, that, you know, what a shining light this is that he could go from, um, you know, only a couple of years ago having to work a part-time job to get by and, and maybe not having a hockey career to playing in the NHL. That's uh, an awesome achievement. And, uh, you know, I hope he has a great season. Love that stick tap because of the fact that he went from Costco to the NHL. Started from the bottom. Now you're here, buddy. I went from Wendy's to this podcast. Yep. Yep. I was about to say, like, you could come up from Costco. You could come up from Wendy's. You could come up from anything. You could believe in anything if magic made it, if you really think about it. So, yeah, uh, follow your dreams, kids. I was follow once a Coburg Daily Star newspaper boy, and here I am. <laughs> I was once a Montreal community contact intern. And look where <laughs> I am. I don't even live in Montreal anymore. I was once <laughs> mixing plastic at GE Plastics as a summer student. <laughs> Working eight 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 p.m. to eight a.m. shifts, like trying to stay awake on the on the deck upstairs. And here I am. On a future episode, let's go through every single job that you've done that has led you to this point in your career. I'm I'm game. Do I know a crazy stat? Yes, please. I've never not worked since I was eight years old. Eight years old? They had you work from eight. I have an unending streak of like odd jobs. I mean, some of those jobs when I was really young. Like I became a hockey referee. I was a baseball umpire. You know, some of them were like, I don't want to make it sound like it was all hard labor. A lot of them were kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, I've been I've been going straight for 30 years plus. Man, okay. We you need a break, sir. You need no. a break. If you're doing what you love, it's not work, right? And that's that's how we both feel. And that's and that's how I felt for a long time. So but uh yeah, I've been uh, I've been at it for a long time and kind of done a little bit of everything. All right. Well. Thanks, Siege. Thank you to everyone for listening to episode 100 of The Chris Johnston Show. Get your questions in now uh, for Ask CJ. We'll get to them on Monday. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll see you all on Monday. For Siege, I'm Julian. Peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.